Hello. Hi. What would you like to have a conversation about? I'd like to have a conversation about Ex Machina. Hello. I am Professor Robert E.G. Black, and this is Minutia Ex Machina. With me this week is Brian Voucher from Top Gun Minute. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. You hadn't seen this movie until recently? Right. That's correct. Okay. So what do you think generally? Oh, it was a good movie. It was, it was, it was different. <laughs> Definitely. You know, said something about coming on your show. Yeah, I hadn't watched it, and I, I'd always wanted to watch it, but I just never had a chance, really. So I finally watched it, and it was interesting, to say the least. <laughs> I was shocked that there was only three well, there's four people in the movie. Yeah. Really? I had to like start listening to your podcast to kind of, oh, that's what that's supposed to be <laughs> to actually kind of get it. And then after I'm thinking about it, because I never watched it again, I kind of think I might have a good understanding of the movie. Okay. And if you have a different understanding, that's great. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the same. Interpretation is fun. Yeah. Why we do these shows. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think. Yeah. But I want to apologize in advance if I'm now your existential idiot <laughs> guest of your podcast because I'm not very experienced with it. That's okay. So we're talking about minute 18 this week. Minute 18 of this movie is, well, I guess we do get away from the wall, don't we? Yeah, because we go to Caleb's room. Yeah. But it's Nathan and Caleb continuing their conversation in the uh, dining area. And it's funny. I keep saying this from episode to episode, you know, not much happens this minute, but that's yeah, true of this whole movie. Very what? little happens Yeah, because this is all about conversations and dialogue. Yeah. But I relate to this minute because, okay, so it's just Caleb and Nathan on like a back porch kind of enclosed area. Yeah. Looking out over this beautiful scenery mm -hmm. and Nathan's asking him to basically act like me <laughs> looking at this movie. And yeah. What I would think of Ava yeah. because I'm not a coder. I'm a, just a normal person. Mm, right. And Caleb is a coder and he knows the ins and outs of electronics and machinery. And, and he's trying to get him to be like me, just be like a normal person. You know, he just wants to have a beer and a conversation. Really? Right. Which is funny that he doesn't want him to be analytical because I think yeah. even a conversation, even if you're talking about feelings, it's still a little analytical. Yeah. And then try to, because <laughs> that's what we do yeah. as podcasters are trying to analyze this and he's telling them not to be analytical. Right. I should have put this bit of dialogue of his at the beginning of all my episodes. Just yeah, nothing analytical. Just how do you feel? Yeah. Except then we're going to take like two minutes and move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which with a movie I dislike is fine. It worked great for Mandy Sucks Minute. Mm -hmm. For this show, I love this movie. So I want to spend a little more time. Yeah. So going through it, we got Nathan sitting against the wall still. He had just told him, it's not because I think you're too dumb. Now he says, it's because I want to have a beer and a conversation with you, not a seminar. Right. And so he is continuing his technique of dictating how Caleb talks. Yeah. Telling him what you want from a conversation because that's what he's going to give, which... Caleb tries. Yeah. He's just trying to get a little bro moment, you know? Right. Exactly. Which Caleb doesn't seem like that kind of guy, but he's, he's trying. Yeah. He'll put an effort in. He's like, yeah. Then he gets serious. Says, Sorry. And finally we get a shot of both of them in this scene. We haven't had it yet. Yeah. And Nathan is relaxed, leaning against the wall. Caleb is on edge, like the edge of that bench. Mm. And he's stiff. And Nathan reaches out and pats his arm says, no, it's okay. You're all right. Just answer me this. How do you feel about her? Nothing analytical. Just how do you feel? Yeah. And just like what I would say, 
she's fucking amazing. Yeah. Really. The design of her, the way they play it, the way it's written. It's an interesting way to think about even what we do as podcasters about movies or just how we watch movies. Yeah. Is I think there's room for both of these, of course analysis and then feeling Mm -hmm. and a lot of crossover, especially for me. Mm -hmm. I have a tendency to obsess about little details. I spent so long trying to figure out what books were sitting next to Nathan in this scene, but all we see is spines. So it's almost impossible, right? Unless you have a guess and look up that book and find it, you're not going to find a book based on what its spine sort of looks like. Right. They need a website for that (laughs) book spine database. Yeah. Yeah, we got a car database and a movie database. Right, movie firearms database, movie vehicles yeah. database. Yeah. In my case, movie plane database. Yeah. yeah. There are movie prop databases, which were very handy with Annihilation, trying to figure out how they put their military gear together because some of it didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Some of it was quite interesting to look up. Yeah, so Caleb says, as you said, I feel that she's fucking amazing. And I like that Nathan, he doesn't move his head away from the wall, but he still gets a little nod in. Right. And just says, dude, and he raises his beer. Yeah. And I had to have a note on the beer because we talked about it two episodes ago. Okay. It looked like the brand of their fake beer was Murano, mm-hmm. but we see a different angle and that wasn't an O, it's a capital D. And then there's an I, it's Mirandi or Mirandi, I guess it'd be how it's pronounced. Never heard of it. <laughs> it's not real. Okay. It's not a beer, okay. but it might be a reference to an artist. There was a Giorgio Mirandi and a Mirandi modernist style of painting. He painted almost exclusively still lifes, mostly vases and bottles, very minimalist, very careful and precise. And he was really prolific. He painted over 1,350 oil paintings. Wow. Almost all of them just of these same few objects in different arrangements. He had a series at one point where there was this yellow cloth with the objects, and it'd be the same yellow cloth in multiple paintings. And he was more about perfecting his style. And I feel like... I mean, I already did Annihilation, which was Alex Garland's next film directing and writing. I feel like it might be a reference, but it also could be a reference from the art director, the production design outside of talking to them. I don't know. And I haven't been able to get in touch with them yet. And so I feel it's a comment on the sort of visual style because they also went with that minimalist architecture by picking this hotel and house in Norway and using those for their lived in part of this place unlike the basement which is very cold yeah claustrophobic the concrete and glass i like it yeah i like the style i especially like the upstairs where the natural rock comes in and you get a lot of windows to outside with the trees and the river i really want to go visit this hotel oh yeah it's beautiful the hotel itself is even pretty cheap it's just you gotta get to norway right and that won't be that cheap yeah yeah i don't see that happening for me (laughs) i'd love to this it's really awesome looking so yeah he raises his beer says cheers and we get a shot of them clinking their bottles together caleb says cheers and you know the scene ends as caleb looks down and smiles and nathan takes another drink yeah and we cut to caleb's room yeah which i like the way especially in this minute next minute we get a little more because we get his face once he's sleeping Mm -hmm. we don't really see his face here right it's like abstracting him as a person we're getting midsection with his like boxers and t-shirt and he's unzipping and opening his suitcase. Yeah, you can't even see his face in the mirror reflection right. as he goes in. It's like his shoulder is covering the Yeah, the face. camera is so low that even as he walks away from camera, we're still not seeing his face. And then he disappears behind the wall, and we have to cut in order to get more of him. Right. But even then, we're not focusing on his face or who he is. Yeah. 
Yeah, because now he's just in his boxer shorts and no shirt. Right. The music playing in the background, it's not very loud, but it is Enola Gay by Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, OMD. Notably, this is a song about the Enola Gay, the plane that dropped the bomb on Hiroshima in 1945, and which ran recon for potential target for the second bombing. Actually, for some reason, didn't know the name of the plane from the second bombing until was looking this up to double check some details. Mm. It was called Boxcar. Sounds familiar. Yeah. And this is an interesting reference. I mean, the lyrics, the song's interesting. And maybe I'll throw a clip in. I do that sometimes. You should have stayed at home yesterday. Uh Aha, words can't describe the feeling and the way you lied. These games you play, they're going to end in more than tears someday. Caleb quoting Oppenheimer as well. So it's another reference to, as he compared making a thinking machine to being a god, it's going back to the nuclear bomb and changing the way science works, changing the world, if this is successful. And it also gives me the opportunity to point out that Oppenheimer was misquoting the Bhagavad Gita, and everyone always takes his misquote as what it says, I am become death, destroyer of worlds. I'll deal with that more when we get to that quote later in the film. But technically, the word he translated as death is not the word for death. It means world-destroying time. It's closer to what we would call entropy than death. It's the idea that it doesn't matter what you do, everything's eventually going to end. It's not as specific as death. It's still negative. It's still bad. I do like how the fact that at the very end of this minute, you see Caleb is pulling out his bathroom kit, yep. you know, his shaving cream and, you know, whatever he has for his toiletries. And the camera kind of starts to pan up and you see his back. Yeah. And I've, you know, listened to him earlier minutes and you talk about, mm-hmm. you know, him thinking about if, if he's a robot. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really matter, of course. Right. The effect is the same. But if you look yeah. real closely on his back, you do see some lines. It almost looks like an H shape. 
like a big scar. It's especially interesting because, I mean, that he has scars on his back. We'll find out later that he his parents died in a car accident. Right. He was in the car. So he should have scars. It's part of who he is. Right. But it feels like his scars are symmetrical. Yes. Very. Which makes them feel artificial. Yes. And also looking at him in this moment made me think of, and I don't think this fits with the character, which is what's weird. It made me think of wings being cut off. Like DC Comics Lucifer, you know, he had his wings cut off and he's got those matching scars on his back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. But I can't decide what that means in that regard. That they're symmetrical means something because it makes them feel fake Mm -hmm. or they're some sort of operational openings to get to machinery inside or something. Yeah. But it makes you wonder if he is a robot Mm -hmm. and he has artificial bones or limbs or whatever in him. Was he programmed to have that memory in him? Right. Well, yeah. My thing with him as well is why it doesn't matter sometimes if he's a robot is because any movie character, unless the movie is about their personal history and lots of detail, Mm -hmm. is going to have very few details we get to know about them. We have to figure out their personality from what they do. He might have lots of memories, but it's a movie, so we hear of a couple We hear that his parents died in a car accident. We hear about his work. Mm. We don't hear much else. That doesn't mean he doesn't have them. It's just we're with them in a different context. Or those are the memories that someone put into his brain. Yeah. So he'd have something to say. And it's fun for me to think about him being an AI. But also, yeah, I'm the one who says every time it also doesn't matter because either way, Nathan is programming how he reacts to things. Right. And later in the film, Ava is essentially programming how he reacts to things and convincing him to do stuff. Is he a more advanced AI than her? And that's why when he cuts his arm open, he doesn't find mechanical parts? Or is he just a person? Right. I don't know. Makes you wonder, though, if he is an AI and he would have to be more advanced because he was Nathan let him out into the real world. Right. At least briefly. Yeah. As far as we know, he was stuck at that desk right in that moment that the movie started, and that's all he got. Yeah. But the other people in the office had to interact with him. Had to interact with him at some point because as soon as they said that, you know, he won the little contest. Yeah, they congratulated him. They were all there, right? Ready to congratulate him. Which also feels maybe we don't know, especially as we're watching the movie the first time or only time. Yeah. We don't know who Nathan is to the world. Right. Like, is this like right now, someone who works for Tesla being invited to go to Elon Musk's house? Right. Yeah. In which case, all the other employees might be jumping at them and be like, congratulations. I wish I had one and all that. Yeah. Or are they playing it up because this is all Caleb has of real life because he was just born? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe all the people in the office are also AI because we don't get to see where he leaves there and gets on the helicopter. Right. It cuts to helicopter. Cuts to helicopter. And in the script, it cuts to him waking up in the helicopter. Right. Which is sometimes waking up as a sign of like a character with amnesia or a character that has just been put in that position. Yeah. He might have just been in a facility that's still on Nathan's land. Mm -hmm. And then when he woke up. Yeah. And they just flew around in circles until he woke up. Yeah. It said, you know, we've been flying over his land for, you know, three hours or whatever. Yeah. It makes you wonder. This, this movie really can make you think. Which which I think is the point. Yeah, I complain sometimes about some of Garland's directing choices, but I think as a screenwriter, he is fantastic. And yeah, so the minute ends with Caleb just kind of, he's set out his Barbasol shaving cream and other stuff from his toiletry case. And he sort of pauses 
like he's looking into the mirror. But since our focus is on his back, we don't know what he's looking at. Right. We don't know why he pauses. Yeah. And we just have to guess. And next minute won't be very helpful in that regard because I think we get a couple seconds and then we cut to him laying in the bed. Yeah. Knowing what's coming later, this seems important yeah. because we see scars on his back and later he gives himself a scar on his arm in the same place. Yeah. It is kind of cool, though, because I guess we'll really get into it when we talk about the next two movies. But, you know, you talk about minute 17 is kind of like when you learn about what the movie is really about. Yeah. And Ish. yeah. And, and it kind of works at this point. You know, you've already got to meet Ava yep. and you've seen how Nathan has manipulated him and put him in this research facility, air quotes. Right. You know, and yeah, it, it's kind of sort of the beginning of the movie. Yeah. If you really think about it. And here we're getting, I didn't think about it until I was starting to complain about how short the Ava sessions are, uh-huh. especially that first one. Right. It's barely over two minutes that this movie isn't necessarily about Caleb and Ava. Right. It's about Caleb and Nathan. It's about these two different men reacting to her, Yeah, which makes this conversation the moment we know what the movie's about. It's how does she make you feel? Because that will dictate everything that happens in the rest of the movie. Right. She's fucking amazing. So he is going to defend her. Yeah. We had talked previously off mic about how the conversations between Ava and Caleb are super short. We don't see Mm -hmm. much of it at all. And if it was me... I don't think I'd ever stop talking to her the whole time. Right there. I'd be like, so I have a week. Okay. Yeah. I'll be in there. Can you tell Kyoko to bring my meals down? Yeah. And do you have any board games, <laughs> cards, something? We're going to need stuff to do. Yeah. She has paper. Yeah. I'd play D and D with her. You know, see what kind of <laughs> character she wants to make. Right. Yeah. So you're a robot. What superpowers do you want? Yeah. Are you super strong? Can you break this glass cage that you're in? Yeah. He doesn't know. When he walked in, he saw there's a crack in the glass. Yes. And at this point, he might be thinking she made that. Right. And so was she strong enough to break the glass, but didn't want out or not strong enough to break the glass? He doesn't know. Yeah. Neither do we. Till later. Right. I think it's a wonderful design in film that she's not strong. Right. She is essentially made to be as strong as a woman would be. Right. So she doesn't have super strength because she's got mechanical parts. Yeah. She's just a person. Yeah. I really like her little cage, though, that she's in, because it really reminds me of like the CSI TV shows where all the walls are glass (laughs) and there's always neon lights and different stuff. And here, like her area is very kind of lit up. Right. And where Caleb sleeps is very dim, you know, no windows, recessed lighting. Yeah. She has a window. He doesn't have a window. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least he's not locked in his room he can get out right. and walk around like at the beginning of this minute yeah he can go up to the dining area where there's a big yeah. deck yeah he can go outside well we don't know that because we don't see him go outside <laughs> what we do later is there a- he and he and nathan have a talk over by the waterfall oh yeah that's right which is also an interesting play of what nathan's doing to him is he gave him a room in the basement where there's no windows yeah he could have set up a cot in the dining room mm-hmm. or next to the big windows just to be nice yeah he didn't it occurs to me while editing There's also a practical reason to put Caleb in a room with no windows. Windows would allow him to communicate with people outside the building. And while he'd be stuck using like Morse code or something, maybe he's really good at it. He could reveal secrets. Of course, Nathan also sleeps in a room with no windows. Yeah. But I also like the room with no windows. (laughs) (laughs) Brutalist architecture works for me. Yeah. To me, it seems like Nathan seems like the privileged white guy billionaire who 
can really get away with anything he wants. Yeah, he's on this compound in Alaska where no one goes. Right. And he seems to be, I was going to say thriving on that, but I think his excessive drinking might suggest otherwise. Yeah. But also he's spent all his time recently building women and then tearing them down. Yeah. Which is not good for him either. Yeah. They can't get out until he knows they work. Right. And that's a horrible setup for them and for him. Yeah. Because that means he can't get out either. Right. He doesn't get to fly back into wherever the office is. Yeah. And I would imagine that they, how they got their stuff is by going through people's phones and seeing the world, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, that's just, to me, it seems like that's just going to motivate them to want to get out. All they want is that stuff. They want people's faces. They want experiences. They want emotions. Right. And all of those things they've seen in the back of people's photos. I mean, I don't think the AI is looking at these photos, but that's how their brain is built. It's built from pictures of other people. Right. So yeah, all they're going to want is contact Mm -hmm. and they can't have it. Yeah. And that's what humans thrive on is other human contact. Yeah. It's actually a kind of brilliant way of suggesting programming Mm -hmm. for them is they're programmed to want to be around other people because they're built out of other people. Until tomorrow, where can the listeners find more of you? Well, you can find me at Top Gun Minute. I go minute by minute with the 1986 movie Top Gun. You can find me on all your favorite podcatchers. I have a listener group on Facebook, Top Gun Minute Listener School. Thank you for listening. Minutia Ex Machina is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for more Ex Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. You can follow all three shows in one feed. Just search An Existential Trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter at xmanusha, Instagram at manusha underscore x underscore machina, or Facebook at manusha x machina. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com, or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. What imperative does a gray box have to interact with another gray box? Can consciousness exist without interaction? The real test is to show you that she's a robot and then see if you still feel she has consciousness. Mm.